worship, every song, it seemed like what I just kept sensing. Well, God, Father, I thank you that this morning our focus is on you. And our focus is on, I'm making this declaration. Our focus is on what you are doing. We're not listening to the noise of what isn't happening or what we think isn't coming soon enough or what we think isn't coming together. But God, we're focusing on what you are doing today. We're focusing on your goodness. And God, I just think about (laughs) the ride that we made to church this morning. Like we got to drive to church at the foot of the Rocky Mountains today. There's a lot of people that drove to church in not that. focus is drawn to the black dot and I kept feeling that this morning is that God's saying don't focus on the black dot but focus on all that I'm doing and all of the potential everything that you've yet to see of my goodness because there's so much of God that we've yet to experience and we just can't limit him by focusing on the little black dot of the thing that we're still waiting on because it wouldn't be faith if we had it all would it And it's faith that pleases God. So we're going to trust him with the little black dot while we enjoy all of this huge white potential space that God is filling in each one of our lives at this very moment. So I want to invite you right now just to think of, okay, what is something that I just take for granted? I have a really good coffee maker at home. (laughs) I love my coffee at home. I'm thankful for that. So I want you to think of something right now that would be very easy for you to take for granted and just thank God for it. Thank him for your breath. Thank him that for those of you that are standing, that you're able to stand. For those of you that walked in the door, that you're able to walk in the door. If you're able to speak, you're able to open your mouth and praise him. Thank you, God, for giving me the ability to tell you how awesome you are, to tell you how much I love.
trust you. I trust you with all of the white space. I trust you with the black dot. I trust you with all of it. I know that, like, I don't know who wrote this rule, but in church you're supposed to wait until the end to do this. But if you are, this morning maybe you're kind of just like, I just really don't know what this whole Jesus thing is about, and I'm just checking it out. Or you're in a place where you're thinking, I don't really know, but I'm going to go and find out. Or my friend keeps nagging me and just to shut them up, I'm going to go to church with them today. Or maybe you're tuning in online. And maybe you thought that you found this podcast, but it's really not that you found it. It's that God has been pursuing you. And if you have never said, I want to trust God with my life and I want to follow Jesus. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to do that right now. Or maybe you're in a place where at one time you felt like I was hard and fast after God and something's happened in my life that really hurt me or I was really disappointed and I thought that God wasn't there for me. But you know what? God promised you he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. God didn't leave you. He was there for every tear that you cried, for every moment that your heart was breaking, for every disappointment, for every anger and rage and every outburst of just disappointment that you had. God was there for it all. And if that's either one of you this morning, I want you with no shame and no guilt and no hiding, I want you to shoot your hand up really high right now and say, I know that I'm where God called me to be this morning. That if I haven't known anything for a long time, I know right now because I'm here and I'm hearing this that I'm right where God wants me to be. If that's you, just shoot your hands up really high right now. And I want you to be looking around the room. Hold them up high. I want you to look around the room, everyone. Look around for somebody that has their hand up right now. And I want you to go and I want you just to put your hands on their shoulders and just release God's love to them right now. Just unconditional love. Just release it. If that's that's you, stick your hand up high. And we want to, there's a hand back here, yes. Everybody has somebody just releasing. You are, those of you that are going to them right now, you are the one that is carrying the love of God and you are being used by heaven right now to flow God's love, to flow God's power, to flow God's healing to them right now. So if you're standing somewhere in the room, just stretch your hands towards somebody. Father, we thank you that we don't have to follow like man-made traditions of stuff. We don't have to wait for your goodness and for the opportunity of your salvation. If you've never said, Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I give you whatever mess it is, however great it is, I give it to you. And I want to be a follower of yours. That's what the word, when you read in the Bible, the word disciple very simply means a Christ follower. And this is the greatest adventure that you're ever going to have. So if you are making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life for the very first time, and there's a hand on your shoulder, I just want you to reach up and just pat a hand on your shoulder so that that person praying for you knows, I have the honor of getting to pray for a miracle right now because this person is being reborn. That is a miracle. And if there's somebody who is receiving that miracle right now, praise God. Praise God. Can we just celebrate that right now? Praise God. Your life will never be the same. It will never be the same. 
like, I don't know, I've just been on this, you know, back dirt road journey, and I don't even know where I'm going in this morning. I'm getting back on track with God. Let's celebrate that right now. Thank you, God, for Darren says it all the time that you can take a thousand steps away from God, but it's only one step to get right back to him, and that's a step of repentance. It very simply means to stop going your way and to turn and say, God, I'm choosing to go your way. Whatever that is, I'm choosing to go your way and trusting him with that. He's just that good. Isn't he so good? God, we thank you for what you're already doing this morning. We trust you. We say, God, just come be God in this service. Holy Spirit, I give you free reign to move up and down the aisles and to minister to our hearts, to speak the words that each one of us needs to hear. And Father, we thank you for what you're already doing. And we give you praise in advance for it. We say, thank you, God, because you're so awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you would, turn and look somebody in the eye and tell them, God chose you. God chose you. (laughs) Thank you so much. This is a heavy son of a gun, isn't it? I'm telling you, I ordered this. If you've never lifted this, like, I don't know how many of you would have, but I ordered this online just because I like the aesthetic of it. I like the way it looks. It is literally like solid cast iron skillet all on the bottom. It's heavy. So whenever you see the armor bearers carrying it with one arm, you're like, hey, much respect. Because <laughs> it is heavy. Yes. Hey, worship team, you guys, that was awesome this morning. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. I have a little post-it note here. For those of you that don't know, I love post-it notes. I think that whoever invented those, they were highly blessed and favored of the Lord. So I love post-it notes. Um, I have a little post-it note to let you all know. If you've been part of N3C family for uh, over a year, you know that over the past couple of years, we have done a fast at the beginning of the year. We do a 21-day Daniel fast. It's very common in churches to do that. A lot of church communities do that. Um, This year, we discussed it and we have been praying about it and we didn't feel that we were to call for a corporate church fast at the beginning of the year. Some of you are like now going, yes, Jesus does love me. (laughs) What we really felt, I don't know, if you haven't been here for any period of time, we don't do things just because it's a tradition to do it. We do things because we feel like God is putting a finger on it and he's pressing us into a direction. And we really felt like we were not going to press into a corporate church fast at the beginning of the year. We're going to wait and we're going to do it later on in the year uh, during one of God's appointed times on his calendar. And so if you choose uh, individually, if God is speaking to you and you're to do the 21 day Daniel fast, there's so many good resources out there and we encourage you to be obedient and do what you feel God is putting in your heart to do. We just, for anybody who has been wondering, are we going to get information on that and whatnot? We're not going to do uh church fast at the beginning of the year, but we encourage you, if God is asking you to do that, to please continue and do that. And we'll keep you posted as to when we're uh, going to do our, our fast, if you would like to be involved in that. Is there anything else that I'm supposed to say? I don't have any more post-it notes, so that's it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, how many uh, parents are in the room? Give me a big show of hand, hand clap. All right, can we just give a shout out for all the parents in the room? 
praise God for parents. And can we just say right now, you made it. Yes! <laughs> you made it. Um, parenting is a trip, right? If you're, if like, if you're not a parent and you watch other people, you're like, yeah. <laughs> yes, parenting is a trip. Parenting is the source of, I would say, probably the greatest joy that you will experience. And parenting is also the source of probably the greatest humbling that you will experience. Right now, there's little smirks coming across faces. Yes, you're like, uh, amen. Yes, so um, parenting teaches you a lot. And a lot of times, as parents, we see our children through parent glasses. We think our, our child is amazing. Like, you know, okay. I'll just say this. Like when, uh, Rhett was born, we thought that was the prettiest baby we have ever seen in our whole life. Like there's never been another baby born with the glory of God shining in his face like this. And I look back at pictures. He looks like every other raisin that's born. You know, I mean, they do. They look like little raisins when they're born. But that's what you think as a parent. You think when your child is born, this is by far the best looking child I've ever seen. And you think that your kids, most parents think your kid can be like making all kinds of noise. And as a parent, you can just be standing there carrying on a conversation because you're completely used to the chaos that your child is causing. And everybody else in the restaurant is like, do they not know that their child is jumping over booths? You know, it's kind of one of those things. But as a parent, you have parent eyes and you think that your kid is the best. And we should. We should think that our kids are the best. But... Have you seen the meme that says, just when you say, my kids would never, here they come, nevering like they have never nevered before. (laughs) You get what I'm talking about? My kids would never. And then that's the moment that it happens. I asked for permission to share this story as an example of nevering. Um, we were making monthly trips up to Lusk, Wyoming to do uh, church meetings up there. And if, if you've been to Lusk, Lusk is a little bitty town and there's one main strip through town. So we're already known as the outsiders coming into town. We've been there for several months doing these meetings, but it's obvious when we roll into town, we're the greenies for all of our Wyoming uh, viewers. <laughs> we're the greenies rolling into town. And uh, Rhett was probably, uh, I'm going to say three, two, two and a half or three, something like that. He was potty training. And so we would travel. We carried a a potty seat in the truck with us because we were on the road a lot. So we carried a potty seat in the truck and he would sit on the side of the road with his little cowboy hat on and wave at cars going by. Because when you, when you got to go and you're potty training, we got to stop the truck and we're going right now. So Darren and I had pulled into Lusk and we were unloading the truck and we were getting all of the paraphernalia out of the truck. We had the truck backed up to the hotel door and the hotel that we would stay in, it was a U shape, like a horseshoe shape. And then out in the center was a little courtyard and you parked around that and then it faced out to the main street in town. And Darren and I are getting everything unloaded and I turn around to see where Rhett, you know, watch him out on the playground, make sure everything is okay. And right as I turn around, little buddy 
is out there in his little black cowboy hat with his boots and he's standing underneath the swing set and he is squatted down with his pants down around his ankles and he is taking a doo-doo right there in the middle of the swing set on the playground right there on Main Street in Lusk. And I t- <laughs> they gave each other a high five up front here. I turned to Darren and I said, go get your son. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. Just to further paint a picture for you, his little tushy is lily white. Like, oh, <laughs> I was so embarrassed. And I told Derek, go get your son. And he goes, you go get him. I said, no, I don't want to go out there. You go get him. I'm holding things. You go get him. <laughs> So Darren said, I will clean it up if you will go get I'm like, we're having this debate standing in the hotel room, looking out the door, like whose kid is that anyway? I don't know. So I said, okay. So I went and got Rhett, pulled his little britches up and took him in the hotel room and cleaned him up. Darren went out and cleaned up the doo-doo on the playground. Just when you say my kid would never... Here they come, nevering like they've never, nevered before, making doo-doos on the playground. I'm telling you, parenting is a trip. It will humble you in a moment, right? There's no room for pride when you're parenting. But see, I wonder how often God is watching us, and he's like, to all the angels, look, Look at my kids. They're doing awesome. And the very next thing, here we go. Nevering on the playground like we've never nevered. And God's like, whoa, I thought I told you guys to handle that. (laughs) I feel like God watches us. And oftentimes we make messes on the playground. And we're not aware that we're making messes on the playground. And God is watching us. And that is a reason, a big reason, why God sent Jesus is to demonstrate to us how to walk this life out. How to walk out, as we've been talking about, the temptations of sin. How to walk out the opportunities to make messes on the playground. Because Jesus was human, and Jesus faced it all, yet he was without sin. So every opportunity that we have, everything that we come up against, every temptation that we face, Jesus faced it, and Jesus demonstrated for us how to walk it out without making a mess on the playground. So let's take a look at an example of Jesus uh, in action in Luke chapter 6. And just for the sake of time, I'm going to start out in verse 9, but let me give you a little bit of a backstory as to what's going on here. Uh, Jesus has come into the temple, and all of the people are gathered around, including the religious leaders of the day and some of his followers, and they've all come together, and it is on a Sabbath. And so according to Jewish law, there's no work to be done on the Sabbath. And so there is a gentleman that is in the room who has a withered or a crippled hand. And so let's pick up here in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read out of the Passion. It says, Jesus said to all who were there, let me ask you a question. Which is better, to heal or to do harm on the Sabbath day? 
I have come to save a life, but you have come to find a life to destroy. One by one, Jesus looked into the eyes of each person in the room. Then he said to the man, stretch out your arm and open your hand. With everyone watching, he intently, with everyone watching intently, he stretched out his arm and his hand was completely healed. The room erupted with bitter rage because of this Sabbath day healing. And from that moment on, the religious leaders plotted among themselves about how they might harm Jesus. I like to get a picture in my mind of this happening. It says that Jesus looked around the room and looked intently into the eyes of every person in the room. And I kind of get a little, like, I think, what was Jesus thinking when he was looking in the eyes of every person, taking time to one by one, look into the eye of every person in the room. I think he was looking into their eyes, seeing what was reflecting back to him. Were they anxious to see what he was going to do or were they ready to stand in judgment of him? Because what happened is the religious leaders in the room saw what happened. And when Jesus Jesus says, I've come to save a life, but you've come to destroy one. What he's saying is, I have come to save this man. I've come to heal this man. But you are here to destroy and to take my life. You're here to judge me. Because what happened in this room is that Jesus was breaking, breaking the law of God. By doing a work of healing on the Sabbath, the religious leaders deemed him breaking the law. They felt justified in their judgment of him because Jesus did indeed do a healing, a work on the Sabbath. So in the religious leaders' minds, Jesus was making a mess on the playground. Jesus was causing a problem. Jesus was the one disturbing things. Jesus was the one who was out of line. But see, it was also Jesus who came in that moment to mess up their religious system, to mess up all of their holy self-righteousness, and to step into this room and to create a moment that was a dividing line. Because there would be those who would still judge this moment with criticism. And there would be those who would rejoice in the healing of the moment. And in that moment, the room was divided. You were either on one side or the other. And actually, the religious leaders who looked at Jesus and pointed the finger and said, you just took a big old doo-doo in the middle of our playground. It was actually the religious leaders who were making a mess on the playground. But they couldn't see it. They were not able to see what was happening. Is The truth is that they were the ones that was making the mess. See, for a long time, I have, being being a pastor and being in ministry for 30 years now, there's a lot of opportunity to see stuff. (laughs) You see a lot, you see a lot of stuff and people are messy. We're messy. Look at the person sitting next to you and go, Oh, you're messy. We're messy. And if you deal with people at all, you deal with mess. And the way that I have over the years kind of formulated it in my mind as I've been observing and watching things is that when a person deals with a critical plus judgmental 
plus prideful spirit, I have equated that with a religious spirit. And I've called it a religious spirit for a long time. Now, if you look in the concordance or you look up religious spirit in the Bible, you're not going to find those words. And it wasn't until... Uh, I would say, I think it was in May of this year, a very precious sister of mine came to me and shared a deep revelation that God had given to her. And gosh, it sent me on a deep dive study. And she and I would be on the phone talking back and forth and saying, well, God was just revealing this to me this morning. And then I would tell her, hey, go and look at this scripture. I think that this has something to do with this. And so she and I have been studying since May and it is, it is a deep dive. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. And I love uh, the words that Candace used here at the worship night uh, on Friday. If you weren't here, there was testimonies that were shared. And man, I loved hearing that. And Candace used the term, I think the way that she said it is showy sins. And it's those things that we consider uh, as Christians, as churchgoers, as those sins that people can see. Like, we know when you cuss. We know when somebody cusses. We know when somebody has a fit of rage. We know when somebody does something that we can see. But what Candace was talking about is those sins that are in the heart that are on the inside of us that nobody would know from the outside because like Alex says, we've got our, our, you know, our polished nails. We, we put ourselves together before we come to church so that we can, we can put a bow on the sin that's in our heart. And if you are this morning, your first time church person, or you're just feeling this out, then I'm going to give you a pass this morning. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about while I'm talking about it. You're going to be like, mm-hmm, true. But I want to deal with some business within the church, not our church, but the church at large. So if you consider yourself to be new at this and you're just getting started, then whenever I say something that you're like, oh yeah, that's what kept me away from church for a long time. Then I want you to yell out, "Uh uh-huh, what she said. Okay. That is pretty much church language for amen. When we say amen, that's what that means. Yeah, that's what she said. Okay. So that's where we're going this morning. So. What I found is, let me, let me read this scripture to you out of Proverbs 16, 18. It says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I love the way the passion translation puts it. It says, your boast becomes a prophecy of a future failure. And the higher you lift up yourself in pride, the harder you'll fall in disgrace. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read. There's at least half a dozen scriptures referring specifically to a haughty spirit in Proverbs and Psalms. You can do a word study and go dig into that. I'm going to jump into the New Testament because some people will say, well, that's not New Testament, Pastor. We don't have to listen to that. We'll get to that later. Romans chapter 11, (laughs) starting in verse 19, says this. This is, uh, let me give you some context here. This is where it's being discussed about the wild olive tree, which if you are not born of Jewish blood descent, you would be considered the wild olive tree. And then there is the olive tree that is of Jewish descent, Jewish blood, and that is the natural olive tree. And so, uh, in Romans 11 is speaking here and it says, you will say then branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Speaking of the wild olive branches, he goes on and he says, do not be haughty, but fear. 
For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Look at your neighbor and say, yeah, you. Second Timothy, second <laughs> Timothy three, four starts out in verse one and it warns us and it says perilous times will come. It continues on and it says men will be unholy, unloving, unforgiving, haughty. And it continues through a whole list of things. And in verse five, it says having a form of godliness, but denying its power and from such people turn away. So what I want to talk about this morning is the sin of a haughty spirit. We've been on this uh, stream that God brought about very organically and talking to us about uh, sin and his, his giving of righteousness. And so as I has been digging into this, I was really kind of making a distinction for myself of what is the difference between pride and a haughty spirit. And from what I've learned thus far, I'm still learning and still like every day I can look at something and say, oh my gosh, that's part of a haughty spirit. But pride, basically digging into the Hebrew and into the Greek, pride is basically when we elevate ourselves. We just put ourselves up higher. You can think of it as just being above. You know, you know what I mean. And then a haughty spirit, the distinction is you could be prideful without being haughty, but you can't be haughty without being prideful. Haughty is being prideful, but taking it to the next step of putting yourself above others. Not only are you elevating yourself, but you're elevating yourself into a way of thinking I'm better than other people. It's the looking down your nose. It's the thinking that I'm better than someone else. I would never. My kids would never do-do on the playground, right? But the thing is, when you talk about a haughty spirit in church world, that it's very tricky to deal with. And this is what I used to call, like I say, a religious spirit. But the thing with the haughty spirit in church world, that's why I say whether you're in church any time or not, you know what a haughty spirit, you know if you've experienced a haughty spirit, you know when somebody is looking down on you, you may not know if you're looking down on someone else. So specifically in church world, a haughty spirit is super tricky because that spirit uses the word of God to justify its judgment and criticism of other people. It takes the word of God and uses it just like the Pharisees did. So Jesus is in the room and he's looking everyone in the eye and he's discerning whether this is a person who uses the word of God to bring life to people or to bring criticism to people. The same way that the Pharisees use the word of God to bring an accusation, an accusation and a judgment against Jesus today we can get into the same thing by using the word of God to bring an accusation and a judgment and a criticism against someone. And the reason it's so tricky is because that spirit will take the word and use that to justify the criticism and the judgment against another person. The word says, 
And that right there is the beginning of the fall. That's where it starts. But see, it's hard. In in my position, it's very hard to combat that when a person is so, it's so, uh, it blinds their eyes. When you say, how could the Pharisees stand in the room with Jesus and not know that he was Jesus? How could they watch him heal someone's hand and not know that he was the Messiah, our Savior, that had been prophesied? If they knew the prophecy, which they did, how could they not recognize him? Because a haughty spirit blinds our eyes to the very thing that we're looking for. And in my position as a pastor... And you, as a Christ follower, that are trying to um, be a witness to other people, it's hard when someone else is taking the word of God that has been given to us to be a lamp to our feet and using that as a measuring stick and a way to beat other people. Because they'll find justification for it. Look at somebody now and say, well, I'm glad you're here to hear this today because you really need this. Yes, because I know none of none of us do that. We're talking about all those people out there. We're talking about all those other people. So what I wrote down is that a haughty spirit is when um, people are elevating themselves above everyone. And they're able to, they were unable, the Sadducees, the Pharisees were unable to see the son of righteousness because of their own self-righteousness. And the Bible actually says that our self-righteousness is as filthy rags. So it's really not worth much. Um, A haughty spirit uses the righteousness of self to justify the elevation of oneself over another based on one's own righteousness or perceived self-justification. So a haughty spirit... Will And it is a spirit. According to the scripture, it's a spirit. So what it will do is it will put you into a position where you feel justified in your stance and your your position because you've got the word of God to back you. So the word of God then is taken not to be an instruction for learning, but as a justification for judgment of other people. And that can be very dangerous. When we raise ourselves to be higher in righteousness, the criticism of others comes from the position of they should know better. I know none of us have ever thought that. We're, we're learning about how other people think right now. But it's when you watch somebody else's actions and you're watching them and you think they should know better or you hear about another group of people you hear about how somebody else is handling something and the thought comes in your mind they should know better that's a haughty spirit that is the language of a haughty spirit the other one is they should be better because I hold myself to a higher standard that is better therefore I am better it's that fast If they are not holding themselves to the standard that I'm holding myself to, then I am better than them because my standard is better. Because I would never act like that. I would never do that. It's that fast. 
Here's a little list. My actions are better. My intentions are better. My choices are better. My lifestyle is better. My discernment is better. That's a big one. Well, if they, if they could hear God the way that I hear God, they would know better. My giftedness is better. My holiness is better. My connection to God is better. Look at your neighbor and say, see, I told you you needed to come to church today. Again, this is not for, this isn't for you, right? And it immediately goes to, therefore, my worth is better, which translates as I hear God better. I know better what God wants, and I would do better than them. It's that I don't, I choose to believe that it doesn't happen here. I honestly have never heard it, but I hear it in other churches of people after church going and having roast pastor for lunch, talking about how, well, if he would run the church like this, or if the worship leader would do this, if they would stop doing that, it's the whole armchair quarterback thing in the church world, right? Because we all know how it should be done, right? If everybody in Denver would drive like Darren, we would have no problem going through Denver. Right? It's the minute that anybody else gets on the highway that didn't go to the same driving school that Darren went to that the problem starts. That's it. So if everybody could do it as good as we could, then there would be no problem. I joke around, but it's serious. My thinking comes out this way. Like I'll see that, um, I think road construction, that's a good one. I think to myself, why did they set that up like that? Why are they doing that? Because if they would move this over here and they would put this over here, the flow of traffic could go like this and it could be like this and it could be, do I know come here from Sikkim about traffic direction? Sure don't. But I sure think I could do it better in that moment when I'm sitting in that line and people are trying to cut me off. I'm like, if they would do it like this, I would never. And there I go, do do it on the playground. It's a haughty spirit. It comes out everywhere. And it's the, it's a running joke in our car because I say, apparently the people who need to have my phone number do not have my phone number because if they would have called me, I would have told them, don't do it like that. So it's a running joke in our car that I say, they did not have my phone number. Nobody called me to ask me about that. Yes. <laughs> a haughty spirit deceptively justifies not walking in love because the actions of another are unlovely. It could truly be that what somebody else is doing is not good. It's not God's best, but their actions do not qualify us changing our heart. Our heart is to stay in love. A person's lifestyle, hear me, a person's lifestyle, a person's choices, a person's political party, a person's gender, their social status, a person's weight, the way that they dress, the way that they cut their hair or don't cut their hair, a person's poverty or a person's wealth or their education does not excuse me 
or give me a pass from love. Our world is doing everything that it can to convince us otherwise right now. A house divided against itself cannot stand. We are called to love even when the actions of another are unlovely. It doesn't change who we are. That does not change who our Galatians 5.22 says this in the Passion Translation, but the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you, which let me just say, if you have asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, the Bible tells us that you immediately get the deposit of the Holy Spirit. The very Spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead comes to live on the inside of you. So if you have said yes to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, without exception. Every person has that on the inside of them. And you don't have a small amount of Holy Spirit. You don't get, God doesn't look at you and go, well, you know what? You're kind of a screw up. So, you know, you made a lot of doo-doo on the playground. So I'm only going to give you a teaspoon of the Holy Spirit pretty soon. When you do get potty trained, I'll give you a tablespoon. That's not the way it works. You get the full on Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how many messes you've made. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness and action of life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. See, I always, I never understood that in the King James translation, the way that it says, it says against such, there is no law. And I was, I just never really understood that. I was like, God, I don't understand what you mean when you say that. What it means is that there is no circumstance that supersedes the fruit of the spirit. There is no circumstance or situation that supersedes love. And our responsibility as Christ followers to love. Because of the love that has been poured out for us. There is no situation that we are not called and responsible to love. Yeah, thank you Jesus. Galatians 5.26 goes on and says, So may we never be arrogant or look down on another. For each of us is an original we must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. Basically saying we never have the right as Christ followers to withhold the fruit of the spirit from anyone. We're responsible to love. A haughty spirit is the very thing that got Satan thrown out of, out of heaven. The Bible tells us in Isaiah, if you've never read this before, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, the New King James says, How are you fallen? This is God speaking. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What is the very thing in Genesis chapter 3 After Lucifer was cast out of heaven, he became Satan, which then took on the embodiment of the serpent that came to woman in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3. What is the very thing 
that Satan said to the woman to tempt her and deceive her into eating the fruit. He said to her, you will be like God. Why did he come to her with that specific deception? Because he knew what happened to him when he followed that line of thinking. It got him cast out and he knew that if he could get woman to be deceived to think that it would get her cast out. There's nothing new under the sun. All he had was what he had fallen to himself. The very thing that got him cast out of the heaven is the very thing that he came to deceive the woman with. We'll talk more about that next week. Um, the haughty spirit causes us to think we're better than others, and it very, very quickly goes to thinking that we we know more than others very quickly turns into we know more than God. And you're like, I would never, I would never do that. Just when you say I would never, <laughs> you're getting ready to go nevering. Because here's what happens is we start thinking, well, you know, and you hear this. Well, the Bible was written a long time ago and it's, it's, you know, that's an old book. It's not for today. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we're, we're New Testament believers. We don't, we don't go by the Old Testament. <laughs> I like that. The Bible is just a book of inspiration. It's not really, you know, you're really not held to all of that. You guys are awesome. So then you can see if we're, if we're going to take on that thinking, it's not far off then to think God didn't really know what he was doing when he made me. And I think I know better the way that I should have been made. It's a deception. And if we could fall into the deception of thinking that we know more than someone else, we are not far off. And the minute, the minute that we say, well, I would never toward a person who is struggling with that in their thinking that maybe, maybe God made a mistake when he made me. And the minute that we have the thought of, I would never, a haughty spirit has just settled into our hearts. And now the very purpose that we were put here for to show love and compassion and to bring truth and love to someone who is deeply hurting and deceived. Now we have no saltiness in us. We're worthless. A haughty spirit shuts your ministry right off. You can't minister to someone when you think that you're better than them. They can feel that. How many of us have felt it when someone looked at us like we're beneath them? We cannot afford church. We cannot afford a haughty spirit. We can't afford to allow that to settle in on us. I want to read something to you here recently. 
Um, some of you may have seen this on social media. There is a, a woman, her name is Kat Von D is what she goes by. Um, she is a famous tattoo artist and she had a show um, on television about uh, her art as a tattoo artist. I think she was based out of Las Vegas to begin with, but she was one of the first. She was a forerunner uh, for now. Ta- back then, tattoos were not as big a thing as they are now. She was really a forerunner in that industry, especially being a woman, uh, coming really successful in that. And then later on, she uh, has huge success now in the cosmetic industry as well. And if you know anything about her, you know that she was deeply involved in witchcraft and in the occult and um, practices that would be really closely related to Satanism. I'm not going to accuse her of being involved in Satanism, just the practice, some of the things that she was doing was heavily uh, influenced in that direction. And in... Uh, this this year she uh, got born again. I'm, I don't know that she got born again this year, but she got baptized this year. She is a, now a born again believer, and she posted a video on her social media of her getting baptized. And um, the backlash is very interesting. And I've been I've been following just to to see. I post and encourage her. I mean, there's thousands of posts encouraging her, but I think it's. I mean, I followed her back when she was a tattoo artist. And so anyway, um, there's an article that was written uh, in Relevant Magazine and published on October 19th of 2023. And I just want to read you a portion of this. And it says, Von D went on to share that she was surprised most of the criticism online came from Christians instead of atheists or agnostic fans that she had been expecting. Quote, I was really, it was really the Christians who were the worst, she said. It was really just sad to see that critical display of judgment from Christians, and I don't understand what would inspire that. Aside from something that's more egoic, I don't know if I said that word right or not, because that isn't Christ-like, to judge people or judge people's journey. You would think that most Christians would be happy for you when you come to this point in your life, especially when you get baptized. Baptism is so beautiful, and it's such a big landmark in time, she continued. For me, at least, it was one of the most important days of my life, so it's strange that these handful of negative, critical Christians would come at me in such a public way. She also called out critics who doubted her faith because of the way she dressed predominantly in black clothing with dark makeup. I think it's really insane that we live in a time where people still judge a book by its cover, she said. I wasn't aware that there's a uniform that you're supposed to wear once you give your heart to Jesus. I read that, and following along, I got upset. I got really upset about the people who were posting things and judging her because of the way that she looks and the tattoos that she still has or the way that she does her makeup, the color that she chooses to wear. And like I said, I would post positive things to her, encouraging her in her journey, in her faith. And in my mind, I was thinking, I wish those people would not post those things because they are not representing God well. I wish that they would go and read their Bible and learn about the God of love because I would never post something like that. Bam. Doo-dooing on the playground. It's the haughty spirit right there. It's so quick and it's so fast. The minute that we put ourselves in a place that we somehow know better or would do better than someone else, 
even if we think it's justified. Should those people post those things? No. Should they be critical of another Christian? No. But the minute that I become critical of that Christian because they're being critical of a Christian, the very thing that we judge another person for, just watch yourself in this. The very thing that you judge and criticize someone else for will be the very thing that you become guilty of. I, since I've been studying this, I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) the very thing that I get upset at somebody else doing, I'm upset at those Christians because they're being critical of her and I'm being critical of the Christians. Boy, I got some loving to do. It's just so fast and it's so quick. Rhett, if you would go ahead and come up. It's that fast that we make a mess on the playground. And I find myself guilty. And it's at that moment that I look to God and I'm like, dang God, I got a long ways to go. I got a lot of loving to do. I got a lot of growth to do. And I think the church as a whole, if we would start recognizing the deception of this spirit... I think it would change the face of the church. I think it would change people's experience and encounter with church. James chapter 4 in verse 11 says this, Dear friends, as part of God's family, never speak against another family member. For when you slander a brother or sister, you violate God's law of love. And your duty is not to make yourself a judge of the law of love by saying that it doesn't apply to you, but your duty is to obey. There's only one true lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and destroy. So who do you think you are to judge your neighbor? See, a haughty spirit will rob us of experiencing the wonder of God. I'll talk more about that next week, but man, there's things that we're praying for and there's things that we want to experience and a haughty spirit will shut that door. The same way that a haughty spirit blinded the Pharisees' eyes to be able to even recognize the Messiah when they were in the very room with him. How could they miss him? It was a haughty spirit. We could be that same way. And the haughty spirit is what caused the deception to have Adam and woman cast out in the garden of Eden, the very presence of God getting to walk with him in the cool of the day, getting to carry on conversations and play with God and to rejoice and have fun and just be in his presence. It was a haughty spirit that deceived them. of God. And isn't that what we want? Isn't that why? Isn't that why we're born again? Isn't that why we give our lives to God? Yes, to be saved, but that comes, that comes, you know, going to heaven. That's, that comes when we die. We don't get saved for dying. We get saved for living the best life. And the best life is living the life that Jesus came to demonstrate for us, living a life filled with love, not worrying about judging what other people are doing and here's the thing well but I am called to judge the fruit 
I'm called to judge the fruit, pastor. All right, fruit judger. Here's what I'll say is there is a very, very thin line from our perspective of judging the fruit and judging the person. And you cross it that fast. To God, it's the Grand Canyon. There's no... He's like, you leave the judging to me. I made him. I know. I see the doo-doo on the playground. Just don't step in it while I'm working on him. Let's leave the judging to God. So I want to just give you a friendly warning this morning from one who's working on it. I know this was all for me. None of you, all y'all just pray for me because I know none of y'all fall into this. Or you're going to go this week and be like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to tell my friend because they are so that way. (laughs) Or you're looking around. I wish that so-and-so was here this morning because they really needed to hear this. (laughs) Because I would never. (laughs) So just my friendly uh, warning to you the next time that you hear the thought in your own mind of I would never you may be on the verge of making a mess on the playground and you may be getting ready to come in hot nevering like you've never nevered before I'm telling you being in the position of carrying a haughty spirit hurts people and it's like, like what Candace said this isn't a showy sin oh people feel it If you've been hurt by someone who judged you or criticized you, that hurts. Especially, especially if they use the word of God against you. And I want to right now, if there's anybody in the room watching online, that someone has used the word of God to make you feel ashamed if that's you I'm going to ask you if you would stand right now anybody in the room yes yes anybody else yes and the reason I'm asking you to stand is because I want to stand in and I want to look you in the eye I want to repent on behalf of whoever the person was who made you feel small and used the word of God to make you feel small. I want to repent for any condemnation that was put on you on that person's behalf. And I want to say that the word of God was given to you because you are beautiful and you are lovely and you are powerful and you are loved. And I would ask for God, if you would just stretch your hands out to these people right now, I want to ask for God's precious Holy Spirit to minister healing in your heart right now. For any wound that has been there that maybe you're afraid to come to church because you don't know how you're going to be treated by people. you and I want you to know that you are so loved and 
are so worthy to be loved. And I pray, Holy Spirit, come and bring healing in their heart in any area that has been wounded. And I would ask that you would fill their any crack with your love and with truth whatever the lie was that was spoken to them, that you would fill that void right now with truth. And in your truth, bring healing and make it better than it ever was before. And I just ask you to overwhelm them with your love right now, your goodness and your mercy. And Father, I pray for whoever this person was, the Lord, that you would bring revelation to them and a softening to their heart and that you would bring love to them and heal their heart as well. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing and I pray for each one of us that we would be the people that carry your love and carry it well. You can be seated now if you would like. God, let us be the people that are known for loving well. That whenever the news covers something and it says this this huge act of generosity and kindness would done was done, that the world would say that must have been a Christ follower that did that. That the reputation of the church would be that when some good act or a kindness or when something wonderful and spectacular happens, that the vocabulary of the world would be that must have been a disciple of God because they love better than anybody that I've ever been around that that would become who we're known for being not known for what we're against but known for how well we love others genuinely love them Father show us how to do that in Jesus name in Jesus name Next week, I kind of, I'm kind of leaving you. I feel like, and I, I, I couldn't cover it all. But next week, we're going to talk about. Okay, so how do I not be influenced by that? It's super simple, but we have to be intentional about it. So next week, we're going to talk about combating that and shutting that spirit down in ourselves, so that we don't battle with the playground <laughs> thank you Rhett for being willing to let me share your story <laughs> I love you all very very much and I will say this I think that every pastor should feel this way but I think that we are a church that loves well I think that there's always room to grow always think that we can love more that we can reach further and that we can love harder but I am so proud to be your pastor so 